The erupting sea hurls Batman into the ultimate brave and the bold adventure as he and a legendary ally, Aquaman, must battle a world gone mad and the dark vengeance of the violent past to answer the astounding riddle of What Lurks Below, Buoy 13. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Brave and the Bob. And really cool episode here tonight. Not only is it a very awesome story I'm going to be talking about, but I have a really cool guest here with me tonight. Uh, and his uh, work will probably be known by a lot of listeners, uh, especially modern listeners as well, which I know I have quite a few of those as well. So please welcome to the show, Alex Segura. How are you, man? Good. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, this is great, man. So I remember you uh, kind of uh, said something about love and brave and the bold. So I reached out to you and I was like, hey, uh, you like brave and the bold, huh? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely been a winding, a long and winding road to get here. But I, I thank you for having me. Yeah, man, this is great. So, you know, I love when I find people uh, just out there in the ether that are huge fans of, you know, uh, Brave and the Bold and uh, Bob Haney as well and Jim Aparo. So uh, it, it's just like uh, I'm always like, yes, there's somebody else that really loves this stuff. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Well, I came to it. I mean, we'll talk about this specific issue because it does hold a special place. It's, I think it was my first Batman comic, period, not just mm. first Brave and the Bold. But um you know, I, I over the summer I was on vacation and I was like, well, what am I going to read? I want to really kind of like check out and not not check out in the way I, I wanted to disconnect from the news and really read something kind of classic and fun. And I've always loved Jim Aparo. And, um, mm. you know, he was the Batman artist for uh, Norm Brayfogle, Jim Aparo, Tom Lyle. That was kind of the the crew that was drawing the various Bat books when I was a kid. Um, but I'd read those issues twice three times and i i had for whatever reason um i've not been a fan of team-up books for a long time you know i wasn't as a kid like i always felt like they didn't count um like marvel team-up spider-man's marvel team-up and the things marvel two-in-one and um and brave and the bold kind of fell into that in some way but i thought well let me just revisit these i'd read some of them sporadically but then i sat down with those big collections that dc put out a few years ago and i just like fell in love again you know and it, i think a lot of it had to do with bob haney's story but also apero's art um i think it got a little looser you know as time went on but i think when he's at his peak here uh or one of his peaks you know he his style did evolve but i think he really was was kind of hit running you know hitting on all cylinders with this run and mm -hmm. what a, what a great assignment just thinking of it as a professional like you get to basically draw whoever you want in the dc universe however you want in whatever kind of adventure you can imagine and um for someone like me a little bit older uh not as much of a stickler for continuity as i was maybe 20 years ago when I was a kid collecting and I, you know, your first reaction is like, well, this doesn't count, you know, it doesn't matter. So why would I read it? Uh, and as you get older, you start to realize, as Alan Moore said, they're all imaginary stories, you know, they're all, <laughs> none of this is real. So um, I really got a kick out of the different adventures and I really got, especially enjoyed Haney's take on, on the characters, just like his flair for the dramatic his ability, I mean, we see like 15 different versions of Wildcat, like, you know, in, in the series. We, we, we learn that he has this great affinity for like the Metal Men and, and Green Arrow. Like he had a good knack for Green Arrow and Black Canary. And so it was really a blast. And it was great, like end of day vacation reading when you just want to kick back and like disappear, I guess. 
Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. It's a very good book to lose yourself in and just not care about, uh, you know, continuity or anything. Just read fun, crazy comics that'll take your mind off of pretty much anything. Totally. Yeah. So, well, this one, yeah, this one will take your mind off of anything, everything for sure. It's uh, The Brave and the Bold 126 uh, from 1976, a uh, cover date in April. So, you know, like you said, this one has, a, you know, a special place for you there because, you know, you were saying it's your, your first Brave and the Bold and maybe even your first Batman as well, you said, correct? Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. When I was a kid, uh, Archie was my first comic book experience. My mom bought it for me, bought me a digest. Um, mm. I think when we were grocery shopping or, you know, she just got it for me to probably to quiet me down in, in the grocery line. Um, and this I, I'm still not clear on how I got my hands on this. I think it was. Um, either my dad, my dad was kind of a comics fan, not as big a comics fan as I eventually became, but you know, he got a stack of comics from somebody at work. Um, and then he passed them on to me to read because I was a pretty voracious reader even then. And this was the only DC title. It was, um, it was an issue of what the Marvel's what the, which was their humor magazine. Mm -hmm. Um, and a random issue of uncanny X-Men, which I had no idea what was going on. It was the beginning of the, uh, the first Genosha storyline. It was, um, I think it was Chris Claremont was writing, of course. And then it was the Rick Leonardi issue because they were alternating from Sylvester to Leonardi. Um, but you know, Wolverine had no powers, Rogue had no powers and she was possessed by Carol Danvers. So it was not, <laughs> you know, everyone <laughs> always talks about like ideal jumping on points. This was not an ideal jumping <laughs> not on it. point, not at all, but I still thought the characters were so cool. And I was so intrigued and um and then there was an issue of the incredible hulk but the the only dc issue was this batman brave and the bold issue and of course i knew who batman was i'd watch super friends and um i'd had the action figures and i understand you know even as a kid before you get into comics you understand like the architecture of the justice league like batman superman wonder woman flash aquaman but this struck me the cover is so compelling like batman is getting literally getting torn apart by these like nazi scuba divers and aquaman is swimming along to intercept and it's it's just a you know his apparel's cover design is on point with this issue basically it just and i i was just like pulled in and it was it was, felt like such an atypical batman story i'm, I'm always always been fascinated by stories that take your heroes and throw them into an element that they're not accustomed to there's a great brave and the, there are many great brave and the bold cartoon episodes where batman is underwater teaming up with aquaman but this this was long before that show started but um and you know and, and aquaman and batman aren't really friends through all of it mm -hmm. yeah to me this this is a really good cover and i feel like it does stand out a bit i don't know if it's because it's like you said underwater and or maybe it's even some of the color choices uh, but it, it really does stand out uh in the, the trade I have. So I got a really, really super good deal on the uh, omnibus editions that DC put out a few years ago. So I got volume two and three and that's how I'm reading this. And yeah. Oh, it's the, the reprint reprint quality is fantastic, but yeah, yeah the, I the think they must, the files, they, the files they must've had yeah. must've been so perfect or the scans were so great because the colors, it doesn't feel overcolored. Like sometimes in these remastered books, when they take older comics, they, they overdo it in terms of the rendering and, and try to mm -hmm. give it like the modern coloring look. And I think that works for comics coming out today, but for the classic books, they just weren't drawn to be, to have that kind of palette. Um, what's interesting about this issue is that it's not a Paro the whole time. It's, it's the Paro and John Callanan, who I, mm -hmm. I, I think was doing some, not full fill-ins, but seemed to 
sub in for a couple pages during this era of Brave and the Bold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know him mostly from some of the anthology horror stuff from DC in the 70s. He did some stories here and there. I don't think a ton, but that's where mm-hmm. I definitely, uh, when I see that name, I, my mind goes right to either, you know, House of Mystery, House of Secrets, Witching Hour, something like that. He's, I've seen his name a few times pop up in those, and hey, I like his work. He's, you know, he's he's good artist, moody, you know. Yeah, it's very solid. It's it's a, you know, I mean, it's hard to, you can't top apparel and so mm. uh you, you do get a little i don't i don't i wouldn't say i didn't notice it obviously as a kid i was it was just like okay batman and um i don't think the issue suffers for it because i really think he only does like maybe a handful of pages um but it's interesting because apparel has this great legacy with not only batman but aquaman and so these are his two like most iconic characters i guess you could count the phantom stranger among among maybe as a third in terms of like influence he's had but it's definitely a neat team up and um mm-hmm. It goes through the, you know, Bob Haney does the traditional first they're at odds and then they're friends and then they have to kind of team up to solve this mystery. Um, yeah. I don't know how much you want to get into the actual plot, but it's um, it's a pretty wild ride. Yeah, it is. Um, well, why don't, yeah, why don't we jump into it here? So the name of the story is What Lurks Below Buoy 13. And yeah. uh, I'll just uh, I'll rattle off a quick little synopsis here from uh, the DC Fandom website and then we can jump right into it. So uh, mm-hmm. While out trolling near international waters for crime, Batman stumbles upon an international incident. An Atlantean-built satellite that can be used to detect submarines and ships at sea is collected by a whale troller, and both the United States and the Soviet Union want to get a hold of it. Batman seeks out his old ally Aquaman to help him out. However, Aquaman seems to care little about the fate of the surface world in their Cold War. However, Batman convinces him to help when he tells him that a foreign power could use the device to attack Atlantis as well. All right, so that's where I'll stop there. So yeah, it's it's pretty much it here. But yeah, wow. That, what about that splash page, man? That very first page is just—it's really oh, yeah. great. Yeah, I mean the, the the ship getting pulled out of the water or something something pushing it out from the submarine coming to surface is pretty intense. And you also wonder how did Batman get there? Like, was that his boat? <laughs> like, did he just rent a boat and that got just capsized by the submarine? It's pretty wild. Yeah, I'm imagining uh, the Skipper and Gilligan and Batman out on that boat together, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <don't> <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah, that's great. And, you know, they both end up in the uh, ocean here. And that's when we see this uh, crazy thing underwater. And I do like how, you know, this was 1976. So, you know, I was very, very young at the time. But mm-hmm. I, I, once from I was little enough to kind of figure out what was going on around me and maybe even the greater world just not you know the the town i lived in you know the the term cold war was something that was you know in my head uh you know pretty pretty early on and yeah. I, I like how you know it's something that's topical here but they really i think haney does a really good job of taking something topical and just making a really good comic book story out of it yeah and he does this a lot there's also a very uh strange but wonderfully strange issue where green arrow goes undercover in East Germany or Green Lan- or Batman does. And so does Green Lantern. Green Lantern like gives up his power ring, Hal Jordan, and, and goes undercover as a, mm-hmm. um, as a, as an East German agent. And it's, you, you could tell Haney was trying to do something, you know, not just tell your traditional superhero punch em ups. And um, I appreciated it as a, as an older reader. And as a kid, I just thought it was kind of neat to see Batman, you know, in the Pentagon and, uh, you know, just getting debriefed by these officers who are saying, you, you know, you you solitary vigilante are our only hope to retrieve this like very uh very complicated weaponry. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I mean, 
and again, we're trying to say, you know, Haney's trying to, you know, do something topical here, do something cool. And in the end, it's like, you know, he's he's trying to he has Nazis, commies and whales in this comic book. So, you know, when you <laughs> when you put it like that, people are just like, wait, what? Yeah. Well, what do you want? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it and was a pero drawing Aquaman at this time or no? He may have been, yeah, because I know he did do, I think, he didn't he do that run in Adventure Comics? I think that was pretty much all apparel. Yeah, no, that was a great, a great run with Steve Skeet's writing, and I'm just like, I, I don't yeah. have the timelines right, but maybe he was drawing it at the same time, which made this even more important. Like, all things I didn't know when I was kind of skimming the issue at the, as a kid, but um, mm-hmm. looking back now, it's a pretty, pretty neat moment for him. But yeah, I love the Cold War paranoia, and then mm-hmm. I love how, you know, the, the, the Navy here, you know, Batman's on the uh, crazy Navy ship here and they kind of tell him like, hey, Batman, you need to get this satellite for us, because if the commies get it, you know, it's going to be World War Three or they'll be able to, you know, bomb us and this and that. It's and on Batman. you. Yeah. 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 And Batman's like, OK, but then I know that I don't want to jump ahead too far. But later in the issue, they're like, you know, when Batman's like helping, you know, Aquaman and they're going to take the satellite away from you know, both sides, they're just like, you know, they're ready to shoot Batman. It's like, wait a minute. You just asked this guy to help. <laughs> you just sent this guy into like <laughs> enemy waters to get, get this ball with this beach ball. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm thinking if Batman, if you trusted Batman to do that and he's telling you, hey, man, uh, if I give it to Aquaman and he'll be able to take care of it, that nobody will ever get it. That sounds like a pretty fair deal to me, but it's not for the Navy. <laughs> yeah, no, they, it's in a very American way. They want it for themselves. Yeah, yeah. Again, that's another thing I think Haney's trying to do here, too. He's trying to say, you know, it's great for, I think every country always seems to think they have the most altruistic citizens and government. But in the end, it was almost like two sides of the same coin. Like, we don't want you to have it, so we have to have it, you know. Right. It's a nice little, uh, little commentary on American imperialism. But um, yeah. Um, another thing that these Brave and the Bold issues do that I always liked as a kid and, and kind of appreciate more as an adult is the the three act structure, like part one and part two. And, you know, you get you get these little mm-hmm. almost like commercial breaks um, that you don't see really anymore. Well, I think the last time. I remember seeing it as in the old Batman adventures, like animated comic. Um, they would always be split up into three, three parts. I'm sure it's been done since then, but yeah. it's not, not as common these days. Yeah. And I love how he, uh, Batman then swims down into the, uh, Aqua cave, which yeah. is kind of hilarious. Um, and tries to convince Aquaman to help him out. Aquaman's like, you know, hit the road. I don't care because, you know, I've been exiled. Yeah. There's all this problems and it does reference uh, adventure comics four four four. So I'm assuming that's close, you know, in the same timeline as this book. So yeah, uh, like we said, that's, uh, if, I wonder if that was, I, that's gotta be an apparel issue. I mean, it, yeah, I would bet. Yeah. But I, yeah, but yeah, Aquaman's funny. He's just like, you know, uh, kind of tells him to hit the road, but then yeah, Jim says, yeah, it's, it's oh, awesome. uh, Paul Levitz, Jerry Conway, oh, Jim Aparo on. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Can't go wrong there. But yeah, Batman tells him a tale of how, you know, hey, man, if uh, the wrong people get their hands on this and uh, there's a nuclear war, it's going to be problems even for Atlantis. And wow, there's a really cool panel there on uh, story page six where, you know, it basically shows like a nuke going off in the water. And yeah, that was intense. Yeah, that was uh, I remember that kind of freaking me out a little bit as a kid, just like um, it does not look like a good time. No, I was thinking the same thing. If I would have read this when I was little, that would have freaked me out. I would have been like, whoa. Like, yeah, I, I think I think I benefited as a kid and 
it might nobody really kind of supervised what I was reading. Like I read the Godfather way too early. I think I was eight. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think they were just happy. Oh, he's reading and it keeps yeah. him quiet and he kind of can, you know, hang out in his room and read whatever. But this was definitely one of those moments where I was maybe like five or six and probably like not really clear on what nuclear Armageddon should look like, <laughs> or <laughs> maybe should not have been exposed to this stuff, but it was, you know, whatever it happens. Yeah. Well, he convinces Aquaman and he punches the the table. All right, you win. I must put yeah, aside. Fine. I must. I must put aside my pride and help you. <laughs> I guess I'll help you, my old friend and teammate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So again, uh, Aparo and John Calden here too. Uh, wow, some great scenes underwater as we see. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, this underwater, these like uh, underwater sub type vehicles here he draws them really well, and they're you know the Americans have this crazy satellite, and then you know, uh-oh, here comes, you know, the commies, and they're going to attack and fight, and there's, you know, kind of like Aquaman and Batman caught in the middle. Really good artwork in their visual storytelling. Right? Yeah, they just, somehow they knew where they were meeting, and they kind of catch them by surprise, but um, Aquaman and Batman handle them uh, deftly and uh, realize that this is going to be more complicated than they thought. And then we got a nice shot of the White House and um, and Moscow, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny how... Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, you, like you said, there's always this dichotomy of you know showing one side and the other, and uh, I love how it, on the in Russia there it says, "Comrades, I smell a trick." Aquaman yeah. has has often worked for American interests. We must recover the satellite to protect ourselves. Yeah, he, Aquaman's <laughs> just an American patsy in their eyes, <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious because he's he's anything but even in comics this far back. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's still he's got his mood. You know, the Aquaman moodiness is definitely in full swing, even in this kind of team up guest star moment. Mm-hmm. And then there's a little bit of a ruse here. So the UN kind of intercedes and says, you know, hey, uh, we need to intervene here. We'll take the satellite and see what's, you know, we'll do what's best with it. So Aquaman's just like, oh, you're the dude from the UN. Here, have this. And he just gives it to <laughs> this guy who turns out to not be a guy for the UN, right? Yeah. And his name is not, you know, seems a little <laughs> ominous. Like, it doesn't seem like very soothing, like not to be critical of anyone's name, but it, it just seems like a villainous name. <laughs> you know, I am Baron Mannheim. <laughs> it doesn't sound yeah. very ambassadorial. <laughs> yeah, Baron Mannheim. And again, it's funny. Uh, Aquaman does say, I dislike giving it up but I'll abide by their decision. And, you know, of course the guys in, you know, gets in the vehicle and he's like, ha ha sucker. You know, he, yeah. I remember he, even as a kid, like wondering why would you just give him this beach ball, like this potent weapon? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and then Aquaman and Batman find out uh, they were tricked. So, whoops. you know, yeah. Whoa. So they've got to, you know, they've got to recover it. And again, it's just really, really good. They, you know, they go back to the underwater scenes here. Although I think at I some like, point Batman's literally like smacking himself upside the head. Like, he, yep, he does. He goes like "dolt" and hits him yeah. up in the head on page twelve. <laughs> like, oh man, what have we done? Mm, yeah, no, yeah. but the underwater scenes are beautiful, and the uh, you know, I think I think Haney very smartly figures out a way to have Batman and Aquaman talking to each other in a natural way. Like Aquaman happens to have this ship that Batman can breathe on, and so. Mm-hmm. We kind of avoid moments where Aquaman's just waiting for Batman to catch up with him, but um, as swimmers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Aquaman's uh, vehicle is called the <clears throat> Double Dolphin. I'm like, okay, okay. That, <laughs> that's yeah, right. that's a, that sounds a little racy, but yeah, yeah, when that's Batman, weird. yeah, when Batman slaps himself in the head, there, I could just like right away in my head clicked on the Benny Hill theme here. It's just like, here we go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here's the Bob Haney moment of the comic book. He slapped himself on the head and the, 
the the crazy UN guy Baron Mannheim was a Nazi. So you know, as if yeah. America versus Russia, Cold War, Aquaman, you know, Batman, a satellite that can detect all this stuff wasn't enough. Haney throws in Nazis, and again, that's like a that's like a Haney thing. Whenever you think, wow, there's a really good story here, and there's already enough going on, he would always throw this other random element into stories too. That I was just like, dude, that's a lot going on, man. It was always fun, but that's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, no, he definitely uh, he he has a fondness for like Sergeant Rock or time travel or different kinds of uh, eras, and and uh, I think he mm-hmm. does have a, an affinity for like historical adventures too. Yeah, and I mean, I get it. I understand why sometimes people were not real happy when Haney would write stories because they'd be like, "What do you mean, Batman's with Sergeant Rock in World War II? This is the 1970s, man. What is Batman like 70? So I <laughs> I kind of get it, but again, to me, if you could just set that aside, it's just so much fun. Yeah, what's the big deal? It's just, you know, you just kind of wink and let it go and enjoy. Yeah, it's just a whole lot of fun. But yeah, like you said, again, underwater scenes here are just incredible with, again, Batman and Aquaman. And they're going after the Nazis and trying to recover the satellite. It's just really, really good stuff. It's excellent artwork. Yeah, totally. No, it's really a Paro at his, you know, finest. And uh, he had a long, illustrious career. But yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, and then this crazy Nazi sub, and, you know, there's a couple of times where, you know, Batman and Aquaman look like they're kind of, you know, uh, gonna gonna get uh, harpooned or something, but uh, <laughs> Aquaman with this crazy whale and smashes the crap out of this sub, it's great. Yeah, that's the best moment. I mean, he just, you know, I, I think Haney was really smart at showing how these heroes have, what what their powers are and how they use them, and um and it's always interesting to have Batman contrast with all these kind of ultra powered characters, but he does it really smartly here. And it's, uh, it's kind of neat to see that whale moment is really cool. Yeah. And like I said, I'm reading out of this collection. So, I mean, the, the coloring is great. Everything's great about this reproduction. I'm not sure about the original issue though, but the Nazi guys have purple, uh, you know, scuba gear on, but, and, and it sounds kind of like, uh, I don't know about that, but it looks really, really good underwater. Yeah, I don't remember that being purple in in the actual issue. I think it it mirrored. Um, I'm trying to go back and look at the cover. I think the cover colors are more accurate. Um, I think it's a more subdued, like purplish pink. But um, I mean, it still it still looks cool. It pops pretty well. And then you're done. I mean, they have this big underwater battle. The 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 whale comes in big at the end and knocks out the Nazi sub. And uh, the magical beach ball is uh, swept off to safety by Aquaman and Batman. Yeah, and I love the one caption box when it shows the Nazi guy. I think it's that Mannheim. It says, its first and last commander joins its final death dive. And you see his corpse (laughs) floating to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, I mean, Haney (laughs) could be very poetic when he needed to be. And and that's, that's, I think, part of the fun, kind of just the -hmm. uh, the scenery chewing is is always in full swing. And it's it's kind of a blast. Yeah, and then I'm thinking to myself, so are they going to clean up all these dead Nazis? Or are they just like at the bottom of the ocean right now as we speak? Like, I think they're just you know, just happy that they got the uh, nuclear <laughs> beach ball. Oh, man. Yeah. And it's crazy, too. It basically just does look like a silver ball with a piece of tape around it and then some kind of rectangular thing taped to it. Yeah, it's not, you know, of all the uh, all the great uh, things about Apero's artwork, this is the one, you know, you have to wonder, like, what design went into this. Just it literally is just a ball. Mm, it's funny. And then Aquaman says the satellite stays safely here in the Aqua Cave where the fears of the air breathing world cannot ever touch it again. And then though worth happens. worth noting that the aqua cave is right where they were jumped, you know, <laughs> a few pages <laughs> before. So it's not like nobody knows where this cave is or nobody knows that that's where Aquaman and Batman like tend to hang out. So 
Mm-hmm. And Batman says, I suppose it's the best way until all nations learn to live in trust and peace. And again, like we said, there's Haney trying to, you know, kind of uh, insert something in here to, again, if you're just a kid, you know, make you think about something like this. Yeah, I mean, and, and I can appreciate that in, in uh, as an adult, you know, it's just like he was really pushing yeah. to, to do something different. Um, and, you know, when you think of his contemporaries, like he was part of a class of writers that were trying to kind of move things up without going too far, you know, not aging up, but, you know, just sprinkling in a little bit of real world content while still sticking to the traditional like three act structure and for kids vibe that superhero comics had around the time. Yeah. Yeah, really. And again, it, it for as, as zany as Bob Haney was, like we said, this is really cool. It's a good story, even though it has a lot of random elements in it, but it's it's trying to deliver a bit of a message too, and not the type that like beats you over the head with it. It's 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 pretty subtle. Yeah, it's not it's not, you know, you could almost blink and miss it, but it's 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 a fun team up, it's a fun romp. You're in Aquaman's element. It's always neat to see Batman outside of his comfort zone, outside of the streets and dark alleys of Gotham and uh, you know, and the villain is someone we can all like, you know, <laughs> agree to dislike and hate, yeah. you know, like Nazis trying to take over the world. So it's a it's a pretty uh, universal to- story. Yeah, absolutely. It's not a uh, it's not one of the it was still for these comics were still firmly affixed in the era of there's good guys and there's bad guys. There was no their gray area here with the <laughs> yeah, who, yeah. Who, the, who the who the air quotes bad guys were in this one, which which is cool again. I don't mind some of those stories as well, but I do love a good superhero story where it's like, here's the bad guys, here's the good guys, and they just kind of fight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, and you get to see the, the different characters in their, you get to see Aquaman in his setting, you get to kind of get a sense of his personality and what's going on in his book, and and I would imagine this title was fairly popular, so I can't, mm-hmm. I don't have no idea how Aquaman was selling or in, in adventure comics, but I'm sure it was a get to have your, your character show up in Brave and the Bold, and so that's probably why they had that editorial note or you had that little nod to his own like solo continuity to kind of, you know, get some of the readers that are really like vibing on brave and the bold to hop over and maybe read adventure comics if they enjoyed Aquaman. Yeah. And I loved that simply because even though this story might not fit into continuity with, you know, that uh, adventure comic story that was referenced, Mm -hmm. it was still something where it's like, Oh, I thought this was pretty cool. And the, the slight mention of what was going on, with Aquaman and adventure comics, then it would be like, I'm going to go out and try to find that comic too. Of course, back then it would not have been very easy to do in 1976, but you know, once comic shops came around and you had back issue bins and things like that. And of course now it's, you know, eBay and things like that. It's right. much easier to find. So yeah, it's really cool. You can see that reference and you can say, Oh, I'm going to go look for that comic. And I've actually bought comics because of references in other comics. And it's, I love that. Yeah, no, it's neat. And it's, uh, you know, it's we're we're in such a golden age now of uh, accessibility, whether it's digitally or, you know, buying back issues at your comic shop or eBay. It was, you know, when I was a kid and probably when you were a kid, too, you know, it was a, kind of the roll of the dice of the newsstand. You mm-hmm. would hope, hope that the next issue of whatever you were reading was there, but there was always a good chance that it wasn't. And so for me, comic shops kind of kicked in when I grew up in Miami, like in the early nineties, you know, with the image revolution and, and maybe yeah. a little bit before then that was kind of when I discovered it. Um, and that really changed the game. Uh, that's when I discovered a lot of older books and, and series, but, um, yeah, I, I still remember kind of biking to the pharmacy or the, the grocery store and hoping that whatever book I was connected to was, was going to be there. 
Yeah, for me, before comic shops, it was a bookstore. Walden Books. I'll spin a rack at Walden Bookstore. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Walden Books. I miss that. <laughs> yeah, oh, I miss I miss bookstores. Missed them yeah. terribly. <laughs> so, all right. Well, I mean, that's uh, two thumbs up here, right? We're going to you know, wrap up here. That's it for this story. But, yeah, two thumbs up. Everybody's got to get out and uh, read this one one way or the other, right? Yeah, it was a fun one. Definitely uh, definitely a good popcorn comic with with a little bit of a message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not only a message, a good message, and like I said, a, a subtle one. So it was like you can enjoy this comic, and then you think about it too. You can read some of these things. You know, if you're a little bit older, a teenager, older, you're definitely gonna read into some of the nuance and think, yeah, you know what? Maybe I should think about that. You know, and it's a it's a quick read. I mean, the action never really lets up in terms of action. There's not a, too much of exposition. Like the plot moves pretty briskly. Uh, I think it's one of the more tightly plotted Haney stories. Like sometimes he does mm-hmm. meander a little bit and you get into more oh, yeah. of the philosophizing and kind of, whoa, what just happened, which is fun. You know, I think these are, this series is made to be read in bulk. Like you can just go through like 10 or 12 issues in a sitting and not feel like you missed, you know, not feel like any time has passed. But um, this issue in particular, I think feels really tightly plotted and it's a great kind of example of what a good superhero team up single issue one and done team up can look like. Absolutely. Yeah. So definitely a, a an issue. That's a, a good example of the brave and the bold as a whole. So for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. So why don't we at this point, uh, transition into, what you have going on so yeah why don't we talk about anything you have coming out like right now i know you how you're working on something that's uh, not quite out yet right yes uh i've got a short story in the superman kal-el return special uh which hits in november yes this month now that we're Mm -hmm. in november later this month and it's a it's basically the story you know clark returns to earth and we kind of see different stories uh showcasing him interacting with key people and i got to do you know superman returning to the justice league which was uh really a blast Um, yeah and it's drawn by fico osio who's super talented um and down the line in january i've got a short um story in in lazarus planet legends reborn number one uh which ties into the bigger lazarus planet event um and it's it's focusing on renee montoya as the question and that's Mm. yeah that's that was a blast um in terms of bigger, not bigger stuff, but uh, novels, uh, I'm working on the sequel to Secret Identity, and Secret Identity came out in March, and it was a murder mystery set in the comic book industry of 1975, so very mm-hmm. relevant to this podcast. Um, it follows a queer Cuban-American woman who moves from Miami to New York to pursue her dream of writing in comics. Um, she gets a job as a secretary at a third-rate publisher called Triumph Comics, um, and at that comp- company, she tries... She continues to try to pitch her boss on on uh, getting a shot at writing. Um, and her boss basically says, no, there's no opportunities here. I have to kind of keep my friends working. And um, she's despondent, but she's approached by a colleague who says, hey, let's work on this new character. I've been given this assignment to launch the first female superhero at Triumph. And I know you're a fan. I know you want to write. Like, why don't you team up with me? The only wrinkle is you have to do it anonymously. And so they create this character called the Legendary Lynx, who's um, I would say is kind of like a street level Spider Woman, Daredevil type character with a dash of Moon Knight, uh, some Batman. Mm. Um, but she predates, you know, kind of the dare, Daredevil we know now. So it's before Miller and before Sinkevich and Doug Mensch on Moon Knight. But um, 
it becomes a huge hit, but nobody knows that Carmen, the protagonist, has had anything to do with the book. And then her colleague and co-creator is murdered, the other writer. And so she, as anyone knows that works in comics, eventually the scripts are going to run out and somebody's going to give the assignment to somebody else. Um, and so she's on on a tight timeline because she has to figure out what happened to her friend, but also reclaim this character that's so important to her. Um, and one of the cool things about the novel, not to go on too long, is that it has sequences up from the Lynx comics. So you're reading the prose about Carmen and, and the real world, and then you hop into the comic that she's created. And those are those are drawn by Sandy Gerald, who's a fantastic oh, yeah. il- illustrator. And he's you know, he's a big fan of that era of comics, too. So I think he was mm-hmm. perfect for for the gig because he's such a student of comic book history and he really gets like. You know, we, we really strove to make the, the comic sequences feel like they were from the time as opposed to like some kind of retro nostalgia trip, like really like evoke that era. Um, and so I'm working on the sequel now, which is set in the modern day. And uh, that's been fun so far. Yeah, that's really awesome. When I first heard about that book, I think it was over the summer mm-hmm. and read, read about it. I was blown away because I thought to myself, I've never heard of anything like this. And let's be honest, in 2022, there are very few things that pop up that make you think I've never heard of anything like this before. There's usually oh, something that, that. <laughs> yeah, there, there's usually always something that'll pop in my head that's thinks, Oh, it's kind of a derivative of this or that. And again, that's not, not to uh, put down anybody that's coming out with new comics, novels, et cetera, but it's really, really tough to come up with something that's you know going to make somebody think, wow, I have literally never heard of anything like this before. I was like, wow, this sounds great. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. And then the response has been really good. Lots of nice attention and, and um, good buzz. And um, yeah, I'm optimistic about the sequel, which which will be set in the modern day and features um, just very generally because I'm still writing it. Um, a new protagonist who is a comic book artist or was a comic book artist, and she's pivoted to doing movie storyboards. Um but she's approached by a company that is relaunching an obscure 1970s character called the legendary Lynx, um, with an eye towards, of course, making it a movie or a show and kind of, I don't want to, you know, exploiting the IP and, and going for this kind of multimedia campaign. And, you know, she is a fan of this obscure comic. She doesn't know the backstory, but as she takes the assignment and learns more about it, she realizes that there's, there's so much more to the character and who created the character and what went into the creation of the character than she's been let, you know, she's been told. And it's really about fandom and like how much can we invest ourselves in characters once we know, I guess, the dark underbelly of what went into their creation. And, you know, how do you separate fandom from creativity and from, you know, I guess not ethics, but you know, how you, you know, what your morality is in terms of business. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, there's a murder too that has to be solved, and, and that pulls her into it. And then we'll see we'll see cameos from some of the characters from the first book, but it's very much a spiritual sequel. Awesome! Yeah, that sounds really great, man. Oh, cool. Yeah, really, really, really good stuff. So, all right, well, man, I really appreciate you joining me here. This is great. I mean, it's always great to have guests on, and then uh, you know, when when there's a a pro like yourself, that's even uh, more <laughs> that's even more fun, man. This is great because you're you know you're you're working in the business, and then you have appreciation for this stuff like we talked about today too. That's great. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. This is a uh, it's always fun to talk about comics that I love and uh, I've loved as a kid, and also learned to appreciate in a different way as an adult. And uh, yeah, now I kind of want to sit back and read some more Brave and the Bold. 
Oh, well, hey, yeah, definitely do it. That's that's uh, I, can't, I can't stop reading it. It's just between the two omnibus editions and I have two trade paperbacks. The first two volumes, I have everything from I think it starts at 74 and goes all the way to the end of 200. And I could just sit around and read them all day. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a great series. All right. Well, have a great, great night. All right, man. Thanks. I appreciate you joining me. Take care. Water Podcast Network is a collection of super friends plus shag. So what could be more appropriate than a podcast about the super friends? It's for all mankind, a super friends podcast, a read-through show about the classic DC comic book series covering all 47 issues of the original run plus a few surprises. Hosted by me, Rob Kelly, and a rotating group of my super friends. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It all looks good to me.